Hello, friends. This is Michael from Hannigan Media, and I am the courtroom of Henderson County Judge Wade McKinney uh, for the uh, weekly county podcast. How you doing, Judge? Doing good, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. All right. We are going to get right into this post because we got a lot to cover today. And the first thing is, um, well, we've got a couple of uh, positions that are going to be open in the county we need to talk about. The first one we want to talk about uh, is it comes with a lot of heartbreak. Yes. Um, the beginning of uh, January, actually January 14th, Precinct 1 Constable Kay Langford passed away from COVID-19. Uh, and... Uh, um, I know that you know Kay oh, yeah. very well. Yeah, who who doesn't know um, or has known Kay? Uh, if you spend any time in Henderson County, her long um, service history with the sheriff's office, and then moving into the constable's position uh, four years ago. I mean. Um, Great lady. She's sorely going to be missed, not only for um, her expertise, but also also. Uh, just not a better person that you can find. And the uh, sheriff's office um, has memorialized her. The, yes. the um, service was streamed. A lot of people got to uh, be a part of that through the streaming and all. And so, um, yeah, prayers to her family yeah. and, and friends and everybody related to her. However... Life moves on, right? And this leaves a hole in the precinct one constable. It does, and sadly, um, in the last few years, we've become pretty familiar with having to replace someone with the the passing of uh, Commissioner Giesland and Commissioner Hayes, and um, now Ms. Langford. Uh, we do have to fill these positions, but the approach that we have always taken is that out of respect for the family and for the individual we'll wait about four weeks before um after the passing before we open it up to um being filled and so that time is coming up pretty quick next week and so you're going to be looking to fill the precinct one constable spot What's the process for filling a constable's spot? What do you what, what's going to go into that? Well, um, commissioner's court has the authority and the responsibility of filling that position. And what we have done historically is that we make an announcement and begin to take applications for those that are interested in the position. Commissioner's court will then interview and and vet all applicants, and then choose from that pool, and. Uh, have them in this particular situation would fill out would not fill out the entire term because Miss Langford had just recently been reelected, but would fill the position until the next election so that the citizens of Constable Precinct Five would be able to elect the individual that would end up filling out Miss Langford's four year term. But because um County elections are only every two years mm-hmm. the, in November, along with the, the state elections. Right. Since the last past November, we just had one. Exactly. This person is going to be in office. Whoever takes in takes over precinct one constable is going to be there for almost two years. That is correct. Very similar to um, Commissioner Thomas coming in for um, 
well, no, excuse me, um, Commissioner Richardson filling out Commissioner Giesland's time. Right. Very similar. Right, because there's such a long time period. Yes. Um, just, just wondering why we don't hold a an interim election. Why don't you hold a special election in order to to fill those positions? There's really not a mechanism in law for a special election. There were more opportunities to hold elections a number of years ago, but um, through changes in law at the legislature, they have really cut them down so that you have less opportunities and they are to stay on the cycle that everyone is accustomed to so that you never move anybody off because on one round of elections, such as this past one, you had uh, the sheriff, the county attorney, two commissioners, and the constables. Well, on the the, um, gubernatorial election cycle, which is coming up in two years, uh, the JPs, commissioners two and four, and judge all run. So you want to keep it all on that same process as it moves you along. You want to keep everybody on that same cycle, exactly. so that it doesn't get it doesn't get off. Right. And I know that you um, you like to name the the everybody else kind of names them the presidential election and the interim election. Yes. You like to call it the president and the governor. Yes, president and the governor. Yeah. I've always found that um, that has worked better in identifying because it seems to get lost when you're talking about midterms. Yeah. And besides that, I, will, I look more locally anyway. Sure, sure. I'm with you there. Okay. Um, so that's one position that's going to be, you're going to be looking at. Um, while we're talking about elections, yes, uh, the county is going to have a really big hole to fill in its elections department. We will, you know, 16 years, uh, Ms. Denise Hernandez has headed up our elections division, our elections administration. Um, she is, was the first and has been the only elections administrator that we have had. Previous to Ms. Hernandez, elections were run by county clerk's office and the tax assessor collector's office. They had joint responsibilities. But uh, 16 years ago, we moved forward in creating an elections office, and uh, Ms. Hernandez has done a fantastic job for these 16 years, and uh, we're going to miss her. We're proud for um, she's going to Smith County. We are super proud for her. She's going to be missed. Um, her reputation of hard work and determination uh, is part of the reason why that she has received this fantastic offer. And and um, she'll be sorely missed. Yeah, this is this is um, one of those things where you know you're sorry to see her go, but at the same time you're happy to see the opportunity That's that right. she's gotten, and and you know, um, good for her because she's earned it. Exactly, she has, especially I, this past year. Well, every elections every election is hard, but when you mm-hmm. look back 16 years and you think about the changes in our election exactly. system over the last 16 years, the move from basically those paper ballots that mm-hmm. if they got wet wouldn't go through exactly. the <laughs> to the electronic machines that we have now, um, the, the ID requirements mm-hmm. that have come about during vote that centers, time. The creation the, of vote centers. The creation of vote centers. Um, she presided over a 
an election revolution. She really she did. She really did. She did. She she had the largest single influence in guiding our election processes in Henderson County. And um, it, I'm amazed at how far we've come and very proud of what Henderson County has been able to do because of Denise Hernandez's dedication and um, knowledge that she's gained over this time. Uh, when it comes to running elections, I don't know of anybody better. And I have to say that um, as a reporter over the years, um, you know, maybe less a reporter now than I used to be, maybe more <laughs> of a PR guy, I don't know. But anyway. As Once a reporter, a reporter always yeah, a reporter. Maybe. But with the newspaper, with um, Henderson County now when I was running that site, um, I knew that I could ask a question and get an answer from her and mm-hmm. get a – like even if it wasn't a good answer, like if it wasn't an answer that made the county look great, I still got the exactly. honest answer. I all I always got. This is what's going on. I was always able to um, peek into the process, act in that watchdog mm-hmm. kind of a, a a position. And Denise Hernandez always allowed us to do that to make sure that everything was on the up and up and the community could know that its elections were being run according to the law, which is really important, especially now when Mm -hmm. um, it's so fashionable to say that, you know, all elections are rigged and it's all fake and everything's, I mean, it's so hard to to do Mm -hmm. that. And then try to run it during a pandemic. Oh, exactly. And Denise and her her crew, which actually, if not many people know this, she had a very inexperienced staff going into this election. She had a complete turnover. Um, the experience level was all in Denise. I think her longest tenured individual there was about a year and a half going into this election process and she nailed it, and it was just by pure determination and that dedication to doing it and doing it right and doing it lawfully that has put us in this place that we're in because um you're right with all of the um social media discussion of rigged elections, this, that, and the other. I can guarantee you, I don't know about anywhere else, don't care. What I care about is what's happened in Henderson County. And with Denise Hernandez running this place, I knew it was going to be done correctly. Yeah. The the big thing that was done this year, I mm-hmm. thought that was an amazing thing. And it was this is that, that, you know what you didn't get was this is the way we've always done it. Exactly. That was not part of the process. It was what can we do better. Mm-hmm to make voting better for Henderson County. And this past year with the pandemic, it was the move to the Texan. Yes. It was the move to um, the the church in Chandler. Um, And then up in seven points, I forget where they moved to. Lakeview Assembly. Lakeview Assembly. We moved across the road. And the the Chandler... um, Building, ah, yeah. gracious, community center. Community center. Community center that we're in, you know. We're able to, Denise's expertise helped us identify and anticipate 
the amount of turnout and how right. to set up for it. Well, and that was we still the, have some, and that was the best part about that. I mean, you right. were able to go in any of those three places, social distance, yes. be able to vote and take care of everything. Um, and it was a great, uh, it was a great yes. So, how do you replace Denise Hernandez? Well, um, and I'll throw this again. We won't replace her, but we'll have somebody to fill her position. Uh, much of the same process as we do the others. We will open it up for applications. Um, we currently are working on that now on the posting for it and leave it open for a little while on individuals wishing to apply. And then we'll go through the vetting process, and it is a um, – Commissioner's court is involved, but of course there is the election commission or election committee that involves the two party chairs, the county clerk, the tax assessor collector, and the county judge in that selection process. And then commissioner's court has its involvement in it as into setting the budget and agreeing, um, more or less, uh, here's your new elections administrator. So, yeah, and that's an important thing to say, mm-hmm. too, because um, the, the elections administrator is not an elected position. That's correct. However, it's not, we talked about this last mm-hmm. week. You know, each one of these departments is kind of its own little thing, and that's underneath right. it, it directly drops the different places. You know, mm-hmm. the jail is directly under the sheriff. That's right. And, you know... The district attorney has her stuff, and the county attorney has his stuff, and the district clerk has their stuff, and everything is in their little towers. That's but right. the elections office is a little different. It is, and that's what is you alluded to last week. It's much more complicated than what you would think it is on the surface. There are those individual responsibilities, as we said. Prior to having an elections administrator, it was the elections were run by the county clerk and the tax assessor collector. You know, two completely different offices right. having a joint function. And that rolls into the selection once you have an administrator that they are available, that they are a part of the process. The county judge representing the commissioner's court is a part of the process. And then the two party chairs representing the the parties is involved in it. It's right. You would think, hey, we want an election administrator, but it doesn't work like that to clear all the hurdles of statute. Right. And you got to have the two parties involved because a lot of the elections that are run, and the, the most important election in Henderson County for several years has been the primary. And that's exactly and right. sometimes people get confused about elections. A primary is technically an election being conducted by each individual party yes that just happens to be run by the county ad- administration exactly you know which is like okay now i'm getting <laughs> confused again that's people people get confused over a primary i every right. year we have one it gets it's hard to explain primaries are run by the parties right administered by the elections office yes and the November election is the county slash state election that is run locally by the county through the elections administration. Office. And we haven't even begun to talk about the fact that uh, nearly all of the municipalities and school districts oh, yes. now use the um, yes. the the county administration, the county elections office, 
hey, because then they don't have to buy all the machines. It isn't that expensive. They're the experts. They run the election for us. That's right. Sign a contract and take care of it because that does. That's cities. That's uh, water districts. That's every entity that holds an election. Basically uses the. Yeah, there's only the one or office. two I know of yeah. that that don't. Okay, so let's put this into perspective. We've got uh, the position for elections administrator coming open. All they have to do is be able to keep both parties happy, <laughs> commissioner's court happy, the district <laughs> clerk and the tax assessor collector happy. Nearly all the municipalities, all of the school districts, all of uh-huh. the what the emergency services districts, mm-hmm. all of them happy, and still run state and federal elections as and well. And the fifty-five thousand registered voters, and keep all well. of the voter rolls and all of that. Okay, no problem. Yeah. That's an easy gig. All right, so we're going to move on, and I am going to tell everybody that I will not be applying for that job. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to put it right out there right now. <laughs> you don't have to worry about Michael Hannigan because I will not be applying. <laughs> All right, so I, I want to I want to do a quick update before we move on to COVID okay. COVID nineteen. We got some great COVID nineteen news that we want to share, uh, but before we do, I want to talk about. Or I just want to check in on what's going on on the border. Um, and I'm not talking about the restaurant. Back in uh, December, um, we talked about, we reported that the Kaufman County Commissioner's Court had passed a resolution, unilaterally passed a resolution saying, yeah, the way we've looked at the um, border for the last 80 years or so, or 130, I was 130, 130, years, 130 years, the last 130 years isn't going to work for us anymore, um, and we're moving the border. In Henderson County, you have to uh, pick up all of these people because they're now in your county. Um, and they passed that resolution and sent you a letter, and uh, I was just wondering – you know, what's happened since then? Have we um, given Kaufman County an answer? Yes. Um, the the answer was is that um, any action that you take, we do not recognize in this matter unless you follow the actual statutes that create the avenue of changing the border. So what we said is thank you for the letter. It fit really nice in the shredder. <laughs> No, I still have the letter. Oh, okay. I honestly still have we the still letter. We still have the letter. Yes. Um, but the answer was no, no, we do not recognize this particular proclamation. Right. Okay. And, and because the proclamation is just that. It's a proclamation. Um, it, whatever happens inside the borders of Kaufman County is, is Kaufman County's concern. Whatever happens in Henderson County's borders is our concern yeah, and our preview. See, that's the entire point because mm-hmm. – if if Kaufman County and Henderson County are working on different borders, now for those who haven't followed, you can go back and look at it. But the short version is there's a little notch the the northern border between Henderson County and Kaufman County doesn't go straight across. There is a little drop in it. Mm-hmm. They say that's not supposed to be there. That means that there's 
how many acres? Oh, 700 or yeah, so. Yeah, 700 acres that would be in Henderson County instead of Kaufman County with all of those people. So my question is, if they're going, hey, we proclaimed it, hands up, what happens to the people in the notch? That, I, I would believe, is the million-dollar question for those individuals. Uh, they are not recognized as being citizens of Henderson County. They are recognized by go to the GLO. When you pull up the map, it has the notch in it. I mean, the notch is there. They are residents of Kaufman County in um, the matter of their deeds, matter of everything else on record. There is a process that must be followed to truly solve the issue. I mean, Henderson County doesn't have an issue with the notch. Um, Kaufman County does. Well, if you want to correct it, there's only one route to go in statute, and that is to survey the entire boundary of Henderson County, basically, because the point of reference comes off the Natchez River. Yeah. Now, and that I, involves Van Zant County as I, well. So. I remember when we talked about this, and it was like, okay, it's going to be like $100,000 or whatever to survey, and it was I anyway. Mean, yeah, it's all it, of a sudden. Do you remember the TV show WKRP in Cincinnati? Oh, definitely. I love it. Love that. Do you remember the newsman Les, Les Nessman? Nessman? Yes, that covered the great turkey giveaway. Oh, the great turkey drop. <laughs> turkey drop. Yeah, yes. yeah, that was awesome. But but Les, um, he didn't have his own office. Right. But he would put tape on the floor, and he'd make people walk mm -hmm. through the door. And if they walked across the tape through a wall, he'd ignore them right. because they didn't come through the door. Yeah, every I, time Andy would try to come in, he'd have to come around. That was the station around. manager, if any of y'all yeah. remember. He had to come through the door. And and I just got that image in my head about the border between Henderson County and Kaufman County. It's like Kaufman County came in and decided we're going to move the tape. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't imagine Les would have been happy. No, he wouldn't have been. And, you know, uh, that gives Kaufman County, I mean, gives Henderson County the impression that we're less. Uh, well, <laughs> we us, don't want to do I that. I think more of us is Johnny Fever. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I like, I like Johnny Fever and Venus Flytrap. Oh, Venus was great. Venus was Venus cool. Venus was great. Venus anyway, was cool. we All right. digress. All right. We digress. Okay. So here's the thing. When I'm, when I guess, uh, one of the updates I wanted to find right. out is really, there is no update at this point. There isn't because they passed that they they passed that resolution. They sent it to Henderson County. Henderson County has um, uh, communicated back to Kaufman County. We don't recognize this resolution, right? And so anything that happens now is pretty much they've got the next. It's it's in their court, right? Okay. Basically, that's what it is. Uh, we stand ready. Uh, that's a lot of what we were doing back at the end of December was getting ourselves prepared um, so that we could take those ne next steps if it's warranted. Uh, you know, we wanted to be ready. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to move on. We're going to finish up, as we do uh, every week, with our COVID update. And uh, this is going to be a better update mm -hmm. than a more positive update than we have given in a long, long time. Um, well, let's start out with the big news, which is that as of yesterday, as of Tuesday, the TSA that includes Henderson County, 
Um, hospitalization was under 15% for the fourth day in a row. Exactly. You know, we've come down basically since the highs, we have dropped 35% in our hospitalizations for the TSA. Uh, that is a quick drop off. Um, it, it ramped up very fast and now it's falling off very fast. We're actually ahead of the state in our region. It's at 22% since it's dropped. Yeah, we were in the 600s in January, and here we are February 3rd in the 450s. Exactly. Which is a, which is a, um, a absolutely amazing news. It is. Um, cause you and I have always said for, well, we have said for a long, long time, um, hospitalizations are the best way to be able to tell what's actually happening with the disease in our area. Um, you and I stopped even looking at cases and stuff like that right. months and months and months ago. It's funny. You sent me a note saying net health, net health is now like only updating three <laughs> days a week. So that's, they, that's right. Three days a week. Because, because we just, those numbers, I, there's so many flaws in those numbers, but the right. hospitalizations we know for sure. Really quick, let me do this. Mm-hmm. We have to do this. It's it's one of the. It's, I I almost feel, um, I almost feel like it's um, the announcement after an NFL game. You know, no unauthorized use of this recording is. <laughs> but a T. But we are not talking just about Henderson County. That's correct. The state breaks up. The the, the state is broken up into twenty two regions. Mm-hmm. that are called trauma service areas or TSAs. Our TSA, which is designated as TSAG, mm-hmm. includes Tyler and Longview. It includes 19 counties, and it's about 965,000 people. Right. And so all the numbers are based on these TSAs. So when we say TSA, that's what we're saying. It's not just the county. It's a regional number. So in our region, 450, I think 453? Uh, 440. 440, wow. It was 453 (laughs) yesterday, 440 today. Perfect. 440 people in the hospital, lowest numbers we've seen since the beginning of December. Exactly. um, Which is a really, really good news. One of the best parts about this is there was some fear in, in the beginning of January as the numbers escalated that we were still seeing numbers from Thanksgiving and that Christmas was going to push them even higher. Mm-hmm. And that did not happen. We've been able to come down. It looks like those early numbers were the Christmas numbers. And now we're starting to come down, which is great news. Yeah. I mean, when you look at it, um, we had that Thanksgiving was pretty much the beginning of the run-up. And it appears, and this is just you know, us looking at it, it appears that, you know, many of the people did not have the big Christmas gatherings, but there were smaller gatherings spread out between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so we don't know, did that contribute, did it not? But we had the huge spike that made January the, where we had more individuals pass away than any right. other. But um, we are on the backside of it. But the thing I also want to point out, we're still twice as high in hospitalizations than we were in July. Yeah, back when the first wave hit and we thought it was so bad and we were worried. Yes. As we're coming down, we're still 
double that. We're still double that. And, sure. and that's a, a testimony to our health care system and what they have done in throughout this process of being able to withstand that pressure and just that continual demand. Uh, you know, our last conversations with the hospital here, you know, and the individual's very concerned about here, you know, we're looking at uh, less than 20. Yeah, and it's been a long time since it's been under 20. Yeah, yeah, very long time. And so the important part here is the uh, being under the 15% mark is the 15% hospitalizations and what we're talking about is staffed beds. How, How, what's the percentage of staffed beds available in the region that are taken up by COVID-19 patients? And the governor set 15% as the rate for the high hospitalization area designation. And so if an area is designated as high hospitalizations, there is um, there are limits in place on capacity for restaurants, other kinds of businesses, right. gatherings. There there are there is a series of limitations um, on those. If the area, if the TSA is under 15% for seven consecutive days, that designation goes away and those limitations are lifted. That's correct. Moving from the 50% capacity back up to the 75% capacity. And, you know, we've got our fingers crossed. We'll see what today brings. And then two more days after that, when they may be lifted. Yeah, um, this is one of those things that we definitely, it's like your golf score. We want this to keep going down. Exactly. Okay, um, so that's great news on that front, on the hospitalization front. I know that, um, you know, we've seen, you know, you and I have talked about that the, um, that the data is just overwhelming sometimes. Mm-hmm. But what we know from, um, just, um, being around town and everything else is that testing is much more available. Yes. People are getting tested much earlier in the process. I got sick Wednesday. I had an illness. I wasn't sure what it was. Saturday morning, I went and got a test just to make sure. Was able to get a rapid test, find out I mm-hmm. don't have COVID. I was able to like go and be normal sick. Um, those kind of options are available, and that's helping so much because mm-hmm. treatments are happening faster right? because it's available. And so people are staying out of the hospital because those kinds of things are improving, uh, and we can see that all across the community. Um, what we've done now, though, is we've moved, and people's attention have moved from Testing and um, uh, the testing and the care, what what treatments there are, because that's become pretty common, over to vaccinations. That's right. And that's where all the attention is. And the news there, not as positive. It's not. And it mirrors exactly what the testing was in the beginning. The availability of the testing equipment and materials was not there the first two to three months that um, the pandemic had started. And that is following suit along with the vaccines as well. Currently, on average, um, even though there have been some larger um, allocations, 
the Texas averages about 330,000 vaccines a week is what it's allocated from the federal government. For the whole state. For the whole state. Well, you take that and divide uh, divide that into 29 million, it would take 87 weeks to, invac- to vaccinate the entire population, about a year and a half, the entire population of Texas. And it is... You have to remember the process of the vaccines began, they even call it warp speed. You know, it began at a dead run. And here we are within a year's time with two vaccines and one more from Johnson and Johnson. They call it the Janssen that is due to go in front of the FDA for an emergency authorization because, and that will help get more out. Uh, right now, there's just not that much. Texas ranks 49th per capita out of the 50 states as far as vaccine allocation. Though we have vaccinated, you know, coming up on 2 million people, we are a large state. Sure. And, like I said, we rank about 49th per capita as vaccines And then those of us in rural areas in the state are always going to be behind for all of the reasons we have detailed in the past. Right. I'm excited about that Johnson & Johnson and vaccine. I read a little bit about Mm -hmm. that. That's a one-shot vaccine. It is a lot more like our uh, traditional vaccines. From what I've read, it's not as... Um, effective mm-hmm. in keeping you from not getting sick at all. However, and this was, I, I actually tweeted out, you know, um, I think that they buried the important part when they were reporting saying that it's like 70% effective or whatever, right. I think. But in it, it says it's 100% effective at um, eliminating hospitalizations and death. Exactly. Like, okay, I, I'm good with that. Right. You know, if, I'll take it if it's going to mean I don't go to the hospital and I don't die. I'm good if I get a little sick for a while. Right. But I don't want to die. And it is. That is what they call a viral vector vaccine where the other two that we have are the mRNA vaccines. The viral vector is a traditional style of vaccine where it uses a part of the virus to teach the body how to defend itself. But that's a vaccine. Now they're going before the FDA to try to get that emergency Mm -hmm. approval so they can roll out um, the same kind of approval that the other two vaccines are under right now. Right. That. Again, that means, I mean, they haven't done the normal testing on these things. They haven't right. done all of that. You know, that's all of that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, the hope is, though, that with this vaccine that is a one shot, much more stable, doesn't need to be held at right. those like refrigerated levels. It is not as fragile. It's not as, as fragile. Are. You don't need special training or knowledge right. or anything else like that so more places will be able to 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 utilize it and yeah. get it so the hope is that that'll start to accelerate the same thing that happened as we've said many times with the testing where there was the one test that was complicated at the start mm-hmm. and we had to send it to the lab and it took like six days to get back yes and, and the testing now saturday i went and they wiped my nose and 10 minutes later they came back and told me that's i didn't right. have and and so that's what we're hoping the same thing's going to happen with the vaccines 
but it's not going to happen next week. No, it's not because there is that production value. You know, we're ready to go, but we're waiting on authorization and we can build after that point that capacity for production. Sure. We can only allocate what we have. Right. And all of them are standing up. I mean, it's you brought up a good point when we started talking about how fragile the other vaccines were. You had to ensure when they were in cold storage that they were no closer than three inches from the side of the refrigeration unit, and there had to be three inches in between each box. Oh, wow. I didn't know all that. Yes, there there were so many things that went involved with these to ensure that they were viable vaccines upon delivery. All right. It's... Yeah, it's... It's science and it's a thing and they're doing the best and, and, right. and we have a vaccine and, and, um, for the most part, the, um, re- the, the reports back have been positive as the vaccines have rolled out. Um, and all of that is good. However, it still is something they're figuring out as we move along. Exactly. Can, can, I want to say one thing. Yeah. Um, DSHS is now um, publishing the numbers about um, not only the allocation. Henderson County has been allocated. The region of Henderson County, not the government of Henderson County, but the oh, region gosh, of Henderson now you're County. you're going to confuse everybody has, all over again. Has been issued 4,100 doses and of which there have been 4,154 residents of the county that have been, have received at least the initial dosage. Yeah, 4.8%. 4.8% have received yeah. that. Yeah. And that's comparing along rather the same as Anderson County, Cherokee, as you move down. Yeah, the larger urban areas have a much higher percentage. Sure. The same as they were with the tests. Exactly. All right, let's finish this up with... Um, where are we on, cause I know we're waiting for DSHS yes. to give us the go ahead and say we're ready for a, uh, mobile vaccination event. When, what do we know about that? It is, we are still, we had it confirmed yesterday. We are still in that slot waiting for an allocation of vaccines to DSHS to bring to Henderson County. Same, everything is the same as far as what we provide, what they provide. It's availability of vaccine. We have even started looking at um, if there is a way that we can pay to have the service brought in to bring it in sooner. Um, we are trying every avenue we can think of to accelerate the availability here in Henderson County so that individuals don't have to travel to the hub areas in the um, urban areas or um, wait excessively long locally to get into their doctor's office even. Yeah, I'm from New Jersey. Let's get the Sopranos on it. No, and that would probably we'll, help in this yeah. situation. Yeah, no, you know, I know Tommy Bag of Donuts will help us with that. I'll I tell you what, they say money talks. And basically we're starting to ra- – for you that raise cattle out there, we're we're rattling the feed sack now hoping something See, I don't get up. that. I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> I understood the Sopranos. I understood Tommy Bag of Donuts. I do not understand rattling the sea, uh, well, but but I'll go okay. Well, okay. rattling the feed sack means that they will come voluntarily. Oh, okay. 
you know, Johnny, okay. who'd you say? Johnny Bag of Donuts? Yeah. That gives the impression of someone with their arm up behind their back. Well, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Ah, there you go. Is what yes. I'm going to do. Yes. All right. So, folks, we're going to leave it at that. Um, County Judge, thank you very much for inviting us in once again to see what's going on with our county government, folks. I hope you enjoy these uh, podcasts. Um, as much as we do. Yeah, as much as we do. <laughs> Uh, but the truth is there's a lot of really good information yes. in them. Please share them with your friends. Tell your friends about them. You know, you can't be a good citizen without information, and this is information coming uh, straight from the top. So, Judge, check thank out, you. Check I'll, out our website, henderson-county.com. Go to COVID-19 infor- um, information on our um, red banner, and you've got all the information that you we've got. you got all the information. Yep. All right. Hey, thank you very much, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.